awaken from this illusion. And you understand that black implies white. Self implies other. Life implies death. You can feel yourself, not as a stranger in the world, not as something here on probation, not as something that has arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. podcast i am your host mike and thank you for tuning in to episode number seven in this episode i'm going to be speaking to mr dylan sakoshio dylan is a fantastic researcher he's also an author he's written the spirit world series which you can find on amazon so if you enjoy tonight's episode please go check them out and the reason why I really wanted to speak to Dylan is because he's one of those people that's out there doing the really hard work trying to pick apart this mainstream history to figure out where the falsehoods are. Because we all know that this mainstream history that we're delivered in books and in TV shows, documentaries, it's full of bunk, it's full of lies. And it takes somebody talented, it takes somebody with the right attitude, the motivation and drive to go into that and try and figure out what's real and what isn't. And Dylan's been doing that, particularly with the history of the Phoenicians. Now, you might be thinking, who's the Phoenicians? Well, you're going to find out tonight, but I will warn you, we jump straight in at the deep end. Dylan gets from zero to 100 in a couple of seconds. So we're going to get straight in, but trust me, it's worth sticking this one out. So part one, you're going to learn all about the Phoenicians, and you're also going to find out how Dylan started to figure out that the Phoenicians came before many other civilizations, and he does this using language. Now, unfortunately, Dylan did not know that the podcast was going to be audio only, so he was set up to show me some things on a screen, and that means that at times the audio may dip out just a little bit, the levels might not be quite there, that's because Dylan was turning around to show me things on a screen. Now, you can listen to this one audio only, it'll be absolutely fine because I explain what's going on throughout the show, but if you want to listen to the first half with video also, please head over to my YouTube channel, Parallel Systems Broadcast, where you can listen to part one and see the video. So like I said, in part one, we talk about the Phoenicians and we talk about why they may want to hide our true origins, particularly the origins of European civilization. And you're not gonna wanna miss that. We have a really good discussion about what's taking place right now in Europe and why they want to destroy our culture and our history. Now, in part two for members, we start to discuss the legal system and the legal fiction that has been created around us all. And if you don't know what I mean, you're gonna find out in part two. This is how we essentially, at birth, get put into this system where we are treated more like a corporation than a human being, and we have our sovereign rights taken from us. And we go all the way back to the 1300s, which is when the Vatican issued Unum Sanctum, a very famous palpal bull, which is where the Vatican and Pope Boniface VIII, he said that he now owns all land, 
or life and all souls on planet Earth. So I wanted to speak to Dylan about this because he's done a lot of writing about it. And really, this was the first time in history where human beings were said to be owned. And from that point onwards, we started to have different systems put in place that thrust us from birth. They give us a birth certificate that has a capitalized last name and it puts us into a system where we essentially have our God-given natural rights taken from us and we become a part of maritime or admiralty law, which is where they can treat us like a corporation, they can trade us, sell us, and essentially enslave us as human beings, take away our sovereign God-given rights. So I think you're going to find that really useful to hear because it's going to help you to understand where it all began. And this is certainly something that we're going to be talking about again and again in the future as we try to unravel how this system of oppression that has built up globally, this global tyranny, this new world order, as they like to call it themselves, how that grew up around us and what we can do to extricate ourselves from that system. So this will be a good primer for all of that. So that's going to be it for today's introduction. I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please check out Dylan's work. Dylan has a Substack and he makes a very generous offer for readers right at the start. So you can find out more about that as you listen on. But for now, I'm going to wrap this one up. So stay sane and stay strong as we move from dependence to independence together as one community. And I will see you in the next one. So I want to extend an offer to your audience. Um, I'll leave it open for three days after it posts. So not including the day it posts because it might post late at night or whatever. Some people don't get it. So three days after the day it posts, I'll, um, all of my work is going up at substack.com now. So that's where I can offer a free subscription. And what I'll give, I'll, I'll, I just want to show this to people so you can see what Substack is like. This post is scheduled to come out on May 11th. And I usually post like twice a week and then as far in advance as I can. And then I start filling in the blanks. So sometimes you'll get like four or five posts a week, but sometimes, you know, you might only get like two or three posts, whatever. But I also make myself available in the chat biweekly for an hour to people who want to actually talk about some of the research or anything that they want to share or want me to look into. And um, one of the things I wanted to uh, show you off the bat, I'll give people, um, cause I don't know how this will be received. So if it's a lot of people, I just want people to follow directions to make it easy for me. Cause I have to jump through a couple hoops to give you the free subscription. So what I will have you do, if you like this podcast, reach out to me on Instagram at the Holy Sailors and message me two things. The first message, you just say, Mike, the second message, is just your email. And the reason being is because I can copy and paste your email and then plug it in from my phone. But if you write a message, then it would I can't copy it individually. It would copy like the whole message. So to avoid wasting um, my time and having to jump through more hoops by separating the email, just please send, just follow directions. That's all I'm asking. Mike, send. Your email, send. That's okay. it. Okay, let's, let's just, just to re- reiterate that for Dylan, uh, send him an email, subject, Mike. No, not and... an email. It's just it's just on Instagram. It's just that you can <laughs> s- submit a me- message. Okay, so it's a DM on Insta. You can just reach out to me. So when you send a message on Instagram, there's no like subject line or anything. You just hit, you just send message, like it'll bring up the text box. It's like text. So just Mike, send the text, then your email, 
that's it. I'm not going to read anything. I'm just going to copy and paste your email. Okay, cool. I'll like it to let to confirm it. And yeah, I'll leave that open for three days just to reward your, it's like a win-win situation, right? Like you're able to provide this value. You'll be able to get the archive of my entire sub stack that I just started about three months ago, which that's three months of work for free, plus another month that's scheduled for free. So you're providing that incredible value at no cost. Your people are able to get that subscription for free. So it's a win for them. And then for me, I get the opportunity to earn their business should they like that free month. And if not, that's okay too. You don't have to follow me on Instagram. You don't have like, you don't have to have read my books. It's just a, a nice gesture that I would like to do for your audience. And just to show you like, this is a, um, uh, a, uh, a sub stack post that I have prepared that's going to come out on May 11th. However, I wanted to show you this because this is an uh, ancient attrition bust. Maybe not ancient, but like maybe the second half of their empire, but it, it's still in the ancient world, right? Found in Italy. Now that phenotype looks exactly like Liam Gallagher from Oasis, Irishman, because the Irish are ancient Italians. And one of the things that has been covered up by us or by history, I should say not by us, by the church institutions, is this idea that everything comes from the east right and it's not to like take away anybody's antiquity or ancient bloodlines we're all ancient like if you're alive in this world you've been here right you're descended from people who have been here but the phenotypes have never changed really right you, you've never seen one person go to a different region like a britain go to the americas and then develop copper skin after a couple hundred years right You've never seen a black person or an African go to Norway or something, and a couple hundred years later, they just magically change phenotypes. There's something about the phenotypes that if they exist, they've existed that way all along independently of everything else, because nobody has ever been able to prove that they've changed. Now, I'm just going to um, readjust this to... Uh, and before, so before we see. get properly into yep. it, Dylan, for those people that have not him across your work before and i'm sure there'll be some i just want to outline what it is that you're up to you're a researcher and an author of a book series called the spirit world series and you're really getting into the weeds of history and you're doing it in a way that not many people are a capable of and b willing to do because it's actually a very difficult history and you're really you're actually working with the languages too which is extremely hard so this is where you're coming at it from you've got into this um, you're, you're basically become an amateur historian and you're trying to figure this out for yourself and you come across some very interesting pieces of history and you're actually rewriting history in some ways. And that's a challenging thing. In some ways. It's, it's controversial also. So you've got a lot of controversy surrounding this history. So let's just leave it with that as the start. And then where you're going to take us back to is to the Phoenicians. And the Phoenicians are an ancient empire that people know very little about. Um, the <laughs> They were one of the most advanced empires that ever existed, the best seafaring nation that ever is known, but people don't know much about them. So y'all, I'm going to leave that with you now and you can take us from wherever you want to start with that. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that you just mentioned on maritime, the art of navigation is exclusively European because the ability to celestially navigate requires trigonometry 
astronomy. And that's not to say other cultures didn't navigate, but the ability to go far distances and use the stars to be able to triangulate your position, it's a European technique. And they've told us that the Phoenicians are Canaanites and all this other nonsense. What I'm going to prove to you is that um, it is ancient Italian, right? The Venetians. Because philologically, the F and the PH, as you'll see, and the uh, P, um, all of them, they all interchange. And um, this is where the, the reason that what I do, like, that's the whole point of the Spirit World series, is to bring you up to speed to what I know without you having to sacrifice the decade or so that I had to, plus, to learn this stuff. And so if you are a researcher, even if you're not, you don't have to, you know, just to know this stuff. And to be able to combat lies will enrich your life tremendously. But uh, um, what's interesting is they've told us that everything like Latin and Etruscan are descended from Greek. And I, I say Etruscan, it's a habit, just because the Latin SC uh, is pronounced like an SH for us. And so Latin descended from Etruscan. And so I just think, well, if it descended from Etruscan, it's probably... The, the, the sh sound rather than the sk, like, mm -hmm. but in Tuscany they say Tuscany, right? So it's like, who knows? Um, but one, the they were so the reason I um, they're called whoops. The reason they're called the Holy Sailors is because they were called di Pelagi, which means the holy sailors or the holy storks. They called them palazios or palazgos. Uh, pal palazgi, palazzi, just depends how you want to pronounce that in Greek because sometimes the G is like an H or a Y. Um, they called them storks on account of them always go coming and going. But the reason they were called the holy sailors, the holy storks, is because they had the letters, the use of the letters. And that is what gave the priest class an advantage over everybody, even the lords, kings, for as long as the, the system goes back. Because even the kings, like we, they had, they would sign. You would sign. You had a sign signature, right? They didn't. They, a lot of the kings weren't literate back then, and this was something that was exclusively invented by the priests. But then they went everywhere that the navigators went. So there was like a merging of the guilds and then to build the temples and um, all the temples back then that were the, the masonry, the stone masonry were for religious edifices, sometimes palaces or like city ramparts, like the, like the city walls and stuff. But primarily they were religious edifices and they were based on the cycle of heaven, the stars. And so in order to build these uh, structures you needed to the at least the head architects of the masons and stuff people running the show they had to be initiated into the priesthood and in fact that's what you'll see especially going back to like york the early uh freemasons they're all practicing and meeting in the bowels of the cathedral and there's paperwork to prove that and so what you see is there's this idea that they're all separate but they're not they're all part of the same guild and brought into the same fold. And one of the things that they leave behind 
is architecture, which in itself is a language, right? Like if you saw Victorian architecture in Taiwan somewhere in an ancient place or whatever, that was like in the woods, well, then you know that somebody from Britain was there or somebody from Taiwan went to Britain and learned that technology or that architecture and brought it back, right? And that's diffusion. So that's, you can only, the problem with languages, you can only trace it so far back before there's not a whole lot left because the Phoenicians wrote on papyrus and like birch trees and stuff in these early birch bark. And it's called Liber. That's where the Latin word for book comes from is, is birch bark. And they use pen knives and chisels and for stone and whatnot. So writing was very cumbersome, but what they had back in the early day that was convenient is all rotted and gone now. So all we have left is stuff that they wrote on like bronze or brass or whatever, stonework, whatever. But I wanted to write three, uh, a word in three different alphabets one of which represents the navigators. And the claim is that in these tablets, it's referring to the Etruscians. And you'll see why this is significant in a moment, because it, it pertains to a certain color. So I'm going to hold this up. Which one do you think is the oldest? I'm going to go for the center, the one in the middle. You got it right. So that is Phoenician. This top one is Etruscian. Bottom one is Hebrew. But here's the kicker. Mm -hmm. This only means something in the Etruscian. You know, did you, do you recognize what letters it is? No. No. So for the audience, it goes this way. But if we look at it in English, it's Puni. Now, we'll go on the next page. In Latin, it does exist in Latin. So this is uh, Phoenician, uh, sorry, Etruscian, Phoenician, Hebrew. And just for people that are listening to the audio-only podcast, I'm just going to explain what we're seeing here. We're seeing three sets of script all in a line, and they all are strikingly similar, but the mid- uh, essentially what you're showing us here, Dylan, is that they're all very, very similar, and the middle one is the Phoenician, and, and I guess the contention is that's the oldest of the three. Yes, but when you look at them, they're all the same alphabet. They're all the same mm -hmm. system, essentially. And this is what I'm trying to show people, is when you get down to the nitty-gritty of um, the languages you'll see that they're all the same system. And so in Latin, that puni, P-U-N-I, looks like P-O-E-N-I, or that O-E ligature. And in Greek, you would see it like this, Phoeniki. So you're seeing that's the Phoenician. And what that means in Etruscian You'll see things called like that are of a purple color with that word in it, whether it's mead, whether it's um, a toga or like clothes, garbs. That's what it pertains to. Purple. And the, the Phoenicians that's were the uh, people who started to invent those dyes, right? The purple royal dyes, they actually came from the yes. Phoenicians. Mollusks, mollusks uh, shells, shellfish. And what's interesting is they told us that these shellfish can only be found in 
Lebanon, but they're not. They are cultivated all over the Mediterranean, north, all the way down to Mauritania, North Africa, for people who don't know. And so what you'll see is this is the origin, Puni, right? Well, you just add a C, and now you have that language, Punic. And so the claim is that there are tablets that refer to navigators as Puni in Etruscan. And so if they are Etruscan navigators, then it proves that even beyond just the language that the Etruscans or the ancient Italians are Phoenicians. And a gentleman named Betham, who is Celtic from Britain in the 1800s, he wrote that, wrote that Italy was the first great colony of the Phoenicians, despite Carthage, despite Sur, despite all of them. And why is can that I, Can I just interject oh, a second, uh, Dylan? Why do you think it is that this history has been so distorted? Just, just briefly, because is it your contention that the history has either been, I'm guessing it's that it's been hidden, not lost. It's actually a hidden history we're talking about. Yes, and so this is this is where it actually gets controversial, and somebody who's not ready to hear this, it could it could lead to some um, some problems with like some cognitive dissonance. It's because this all the history that we know of is written in such a way to preserve mosaic history and what the religious scriptures said, and my work demonstrates that those religious scriptures are not actually authentic works. They're actually forgeries. A lot of them are based on older stuff from the mystery schools that they rewrote and applied to other things. And this is, this is what um, my work, that, this is the ancient universal system of priestcraft that my work teaches the audience. And so, for example, the earliest Greek writer didn't mention Moses until circa 270 AD, right? Michaelis, everything you know about the um, Gospels, right? Johann Michaelis, one of the greatest biblical scholars of all time, admitted that there is not one writing pertaining to the Gospels that existed or that can be proven to exist prior to the 6th century AD. If I were to quote Eusebius, a lot of people don't know the origins of Christianity. He, you have to be able to look into Greek or have somebody who is willing to expose this in Greek, teach this, which people have done and paid really steep consequences, like especially people in Britain, they were thrown in prison for blasphemy, one of which was Robert Taylor, Reverend Robert Taylor. And he, he, he was one of the few people that translated Eusebius. And you see, like, it literally says... Those ancient therapeuti are Christians or were Christians, and their writings are our epistles and gospels. That's the father of ecclesiastical history admitting that, you're, that the things that they're passing off as Christianity come from the therapeuti in Egypt before the time of Christ, 2nd century BC, Alexandria, etc., and if you look up the Thetaputi, people will see that they're an ancient uh, Jewish Buddhist sect. So there's this Oriental 
influence that comes in and basically takes over Europe and destroys the Roman Empire. And a lot of people blame the Italians for the Vatican and for all the nasty shit that's coming out of that system and spreading over the world. But that's that's every they had to take over Italy because Italy is the center of all commerce. And back then, commerce through ship is much easier than clearing forests and building roads through them, right? That, that stuff doesn't really start happening until the technology gets advanced, whereas it's much easier to get on a boat and go everywhere you want. So, so for listeners that want to, to vessel. read that book, Robert Taylor, you're talking about the devil's pulpit, aren't you? So that's if listeners want to... Um, no, that, that's not in the, that quote is not going to be in the devil's pulpit. He, the one that I'm quoting him, that where he exposes Eusebius, is called the diegesis. Okay, so so there's some books there. It's it's, it's 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 something he wrote way before. Well, maybe not way, but he wrote that while he was in prison. Devil's Pulpit is a uh, a compilation of his um, sermons that like that he did when he was out and like. Uh, yeah, I think got... making the so you know why he got thrown in uh, the jail is he, he 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 made a pamphlet. So you can get that too. It's, yeah, uh, sorry, I think we got crosswise. I was just giving that book reference to listeners who are not aware of his work at all. So go find that book if you want to learn more about his thoughts on, um, uh, well, basically on where these uh, biblical stories are from. So if you haven't read that book, that will give you the uh, basis. That And then what Dylan just said, the uh, second work, that's where the quote came from. And in part two, Dylan, I'd love to go down that path and talk to you about some of the uh, things that have happened with the church and the Vatican, because you've done some fantastic work on that. Sure. And I was looking at your book. Um, uh, is it the darkest magic that you called it, or the blackest magic? One of the Spirit World series. I call it. I call it. I call it the blackest of all magic because that's what the legal system is. It's the worst sorcery. It's the worst occult thing. Basically, what they're doing is they're presuming authority. So why this is important is because if you look at where the authority is derived from. They, they assume that they're descended from these biblical characters. Like all the kings of early Britain, they pretended that they were descendants of Japheth, one of Noah's sons. But when you know that that's an astrotheological story and is not actual history, you are now submitting to the divine right of kings who have no authority to claim such. But that's where they're deriving. Just like the Pope, he pretends that he's the vicar of Christ given the keys to the kingdom of heaven by St. Peter, all this nonsense. You look at the Muslim world, same thing. You look at the Jewish world, same thing. There's no such thing as a Semite because there's no such thing as Shem, Noah's son. So this whole thing, Semitic, Semitic languages, is 100% nonsense that was invented as a term for convenience by Eichhorn. And this is not even me saying this. This is like the highest men of authority in the history of the church saying this, an archbishop, right? So the thing that makes my work stand out is I don't just speculate. I bring the most qualified quotes to the table to show people that I'm not just pulling stuff out of the uh, the air and just, you know, whatever, talking out of my ass, right? But before we go into that second half, I want to show you this because this is why language is important. This Hebrew letter, pay, right? It's like a P. Uh-oh, it's like a P, but it's also an F, depending on how it's used. 
So when you have that boni, right, from Latin, well, it's also an F. So that's where the root of Phoenician comes from. And that's why it means purple, and that's why they're pertaining to the purple, right? So now you have pony or puni, philologically the same. Well, then that becomes, because of that P, in F interchange, you now have the Fenni or the Fenians, and that's what the Irish called them. And Fenian, they, they had laws and everything. Um, and so that interchange also with the V. So then you have Fenni, which then you also have Veni or Venetians. So it is literally all the same. And if you were to look at like the Phoenician R, the Resh, it's going to look like a, almost like a P in reverse. The Etruscan, it looks like almost like a D with a little bit uh, of, a, of a stem. And then in Greek, it's a regular, the R looks like a P. So that Punic is literally philologically runic. And one of the things that the Scandinavians and the Norse can't figure about their, out about their culture is because they're not able to trace this ancient system of alphabets going back to the priests or the holy sailors or the Phoenicians or the Etruscans, whatever you want to call them. Because they didn't call themselves that. These are names that were all, there's not enough left on the record to see what they called themselves other than, uh, I think there's a term, rasana, which uh, I go deep into that in the book, and that, that um, etym the etymology of rasana, it has ras, which is similar to raj, which is rajaputs, rajputs, I should say, and it pertains to wisdom. You'll see it in Hebrew as rashid. You'll see it in Arabic, rashid. And so there is this system, and the question is, it's not whether the system exists, it's whether it's going from east to west, or if it's going from west to east. And that's what everybody's been hoodwinked on. And so even if you were to look up the, the word, uh, how rune, right, Punic, that's the runes, it would just look like R, that, uh, that's how their N looks, and then that's how their O looks. But if you look into the runes, you'll see that they're almost identical to what comes out of Britain. And it clearly comes out of ancient Britain, the rune system. At what point do you think and they that made it over to Ireland, uh, Dylan? What, at what point in history do you think they got over there the earliest? I think at least. I've heard some claims that I'm not quite on board, like 3000 BC. But I think, I think at least like 1500 BC. I think they've been there for a while. I, I would not be surprised if it was 3000 BC or earlier. Like the stuff in England... The, the, the problem that we find in England is because of the constant war there, there is not a whole lot left because people can't preserve their culture and language when they're constantly fighting over who's getting what. And that really happens once that Phoenician empire, whatever it is, starts to collapse and lose its power. So for the longest time, Britain was, it, it's called Bretanak or Britannis. And it literally means the country of tin because the Phoenicians were mining tin there, places like rich 
And there's all kinds of things. If you look up uh, Enish Moore, have you ever seen that? That wormhole in Enish Moore mm-hmm. in Ireland? So it's like this square freaking cut thing that they in the ocean that they tell you is like geological phenomena. It's natural. The whole coast looks like it's been chewed up. Yet you'll see those same types of uh, carved like baths, like stone ocean baths. You'll see them in Malta and you'll see them in the coast of Italy, Puglia, uh, Apulia, which is another attrition place in uh, Italy. And it's like in the south, uh, southeast. And right across from that, you're going to get to like Greece and Serbia and all these areas. Like you can see how the system it's very easy for them to get to all these places, which is why all the languages do look like they're intertwined and the cultures are intertwined because they are. And if you look at like, you know, like the Genoa, uh, Genoa used to, for a while in the middle ages was the Commonwealth of Italy. You can see they have the same trade routes as the Phoenicians going all the way up into the black sea, all the way up into Asia minor uh, where like Ukraine is and all that stuff. They were able to do this a long time ago. And then something happens. And that's where we're at for me is trying to piece together what happened around the turn of the common era. Because something happened and it starts with uh, the assassination of like Julius Caesar. And then there's like 300 years that are just totally unaccounted for. Like you can't provide any real artifacts from the first century AD regarding Christianity, Christ, any of that stuff. So this is, this, is where, um, this is where my research will benefit people who are actually histori- who are historians and trying to piece together what happened is a lot of people are incredibly talented. They're exceptional in every area, but they have no idea about language and astrology and how all of these stories of history are pulling from this ancient system. Like I remember one of your um, videos I was watching, you were talking about the monetary system coming from like Babylon and all that stuff. Well, if you break down the word Babylon, you're looking at Baba, Father, El, God, On, the Son, the Being, the Father, Son, God, God, the Father, Jupiter, Jupiter. So when you see what they're doing, Zupater, Zeus, Jew, you know, when you see what they're doing with language, and once you know the symbolism and the, and the names for these deities and the roots and all that stuff, you can start seeing how they construct these systems and what they base them off of. And the reason they're all partially true is because at the root of it is nature. They're based on the cycles of heaven. I've got, que- of I've got a question for you, Dylan. There was some mummies that were dug up. They were perfectly preserved in Asia. And they dated them at least 1,000 BC, some say 3,000 BC, and it's called the Takarian female, and it's a mummy that has ginger hair. It's braided as the Celts braided it. She's wearing cloth that's Celtic cloth. This suggests that if you're correct, the Phoenicians and the Celts were mingling cultures because she looked like a Celt, and I guess the Phoenicians as the seafaring uh, empire would have been taking Celts across with them at that point. So would you and would you posit yes, that this is this is why that happened? And the history is not so, can't explain it because if history explains it, they have to disclose what you are essentially telling us. Exactly. Look at all the pyramids in China. That there's like forty pyramids. They don't dig them up because they say they don't have the technology and they don't want to destroy any of the artifacts. But it doesn't change the fact that there are pyramids, and so. 
for me, I, I'm going to have to, if, if I'll try to text you after this just to see if, like, just to get that spelled out so I can look into it because I haven't heard of it. There's a but, lot of them. There's a lot of these mummies that have come out in this, uh, in the region of, um, it's northern China. It's a certain basin and it's a deserted region. And they found a ton of mummies with ginger hair and Caucasian features. Uh, and the braiding of the hair is Celtic. They're wearing cloth that is Celtic. And uh, there's no explanation. No, the history ref- refuses to explain it. But the, the Chinese actually have these mummies on display. You can go see them. It's wild. And then for a long time, people well, were just ignoring it because they don't want to explain it. And then when I came across your work, I was like, okay, well, your work would explain it because you're talking about Phoenicians that were in Ireland, potentially as far back as 3000 BC, uh, and they will have been traveling together, I guess. So there's a gentleman named Faber, for anyone who wants to look at him up, Origin of Pagan Idols. Now, he wrote, the religion of the Celts, as professed in Gaul and Britain, is palpably the same as that of the Hindus and Egyptians. The same also as that of the Canaanites, the Phrygians, the Greeks, and the Romans. And he says again, this is, what, this is why I'm reading this, Canon says that the Phoenicians once possessed the empire of Asia, that they made Egyptian Thebes their capital. For those who don't know, Egyptian Thebes is Luxor, right? So they were totally down there all the way up to, uh, I think it's Ans- Aswar. I, I forget how to say that word, but it's like right before the cataracts start. You can get really far down. You can navigate really far down the Nile River, right? And he said, in that Cadmus migrating then, thence to Europe, into Europe, built Viotian Thebes and called it after the name of his native town. So you're literally seeing the Phoenicians once possessed the empire of Asia. And this is what I think is being covered up because when you start getting to this, you'll see those red hair elongated skulls in Peru as well. Other things you will see in um, Peru are the cyclopean or what they call polygonal masonry. And what they don't admit is that that masonry is pelagic. So I'll read you this quote from Bishop Thurwall. He attributed the, cy- the cyclopean architecture and polygonal uh, masonry to the Pelagians, who are the holy sailors, right? The Etrusco Phoenicians. He said, the most ancient architectural monuments of Europe which may perhaps outlast all that have been raised in later ages, clearly appear to have been the work of their hands. The huge structures, remains of which are visible in many parts of Greece and Epirus, Italy, and the western coast of Asia Minor, as well as the Americas. And or I actually wrote that in uh, parentheses. He didn't say the Americas, I did. And which are commonly, commonly described by the epithet of Cyclopean because according to the Greek legends, the Cyclopes built... Uh, the walls of Tidius um, and Mycenae might be with more propriety called Pelagian from the real authors. So what you're saying, I'm not ma- saying, I'm not agreeing that that claim that you made that that mummy is in fact real because it could be an archaeological fraud. But if it is real and that hair is red or Celtic, it's all corroborating what I'm saying and the same Hangups you get with the Chinese government are going to be the same hangups you get in South America, and they won't let you ex- ex- excavate the sites further than they've done because of what is being uncovered. And now all of a sudden you have these people who have claimed to be like the authors of all this stuff, 
and they're really just people that moved in after these cultures were long gone. Well, I That's know also in North America, there are copper mines uh, on the shore of Lake Superior, and those copper mines go back, some estimate, 3,500 BC. And there was over 500,000 tons of copper taken out of those mines. Now, it wasn't the American Indians taking that copper because there's very few artifacts of they copper. They didn't know how to mine. So where's the copper? Nobody can find the copper. It's been taken. The copper was taken out of there. So if somebody was Mike. sailing across there and taking copper from the Americas. It's even, it's even worse than that because, yeah, you're right. But think, check this out. The ability to mine in itself is a skill set that only certain cultures knew. That is what actually made the Etrurians become a powerful empire. They, they were able to mine the metals in Italy, specifically copper, tin, cinnabar, which they used to make mercury, like all these things. Um, and so just like that's one of the things. So in my latest book, uh, it's called terminalia and so the reason i had to take this side this book was supposed to just be one book book five book six however what i started finding in ancient britain it became a book of its own because it's so it's so intense and the reason i needed to do this is because i came across these accounts from this gentleman named lionel wafer who is from ireland grew up speaking the highland language got left behind in the Isthmus of America, which is like the Panama region. And he learned the, uh, the tribe's language in less than a month because it had affinity to the highland. Not only that, there's white Indians. Not only that, the church got wind of this because he published a book talking about some of the, his experience, but in it he uh, recalled some of the words. And the church got wind of this and they wanted to use this as an excuse to prove, well, this means this this proves that all men descended from Adam and Eve, because they're lang they're speaking our language in America. Rather than the realistic thing is no, Ireland, Scotland, all these places, especially the Cornish, which Southwest is where they really colonize, but then they, they go up, obviously. But like Cornwall, Wales. These people, if you go back to their alphabets and all that stuff, it all goes back to Phoenician. So then where are they going from there? Iceland, Greenland, right? You have Newfoundland, which they're calling Vinland. But if you recall that F and V interchange, Vinland becomes Finland. So the Finnish are likely related to Phoenicians as well. It sounds Finnish, like what you're getting at, Dylan, is that essentially they once the romans sacked carthage they erased we know that they took out the library and they tried to erase all knowledge of the phoenicians but it sounds to me like what you're saying is that the phoenicians have essentially been erased from history and replaced no, with this roman empire so i come from an old roman family my citizenship to italy based on this family i have the paperwork I'll write it in a tradition for you. And this is what I'm saying. Carthaginian is literally just Sicilian Phoenician because they're ancient Italians. People talk about the Basque language. The Basque language is just Spanish Phoenician. All of this is getting lost. I don't know where this has been covered up, 
But if you go back to the 1800s and earlier, this seemed to be like common knowledge amongst scholars. Um, it looks like Dacia. Uh, Dacia goes this way. Ah, that's a Tushin. That's the word for God. So if you were to just add this, you would get Caesar. So for those Italians watching, I'm not just Dylan Sicoccio, I'm Dylan Sicoccio or Sicoccio de Cesare. And they'll know what that means. And that's why it's important that it's coming from me because I am Roman, but Romans come from Phoenicians. And I'm telling you that that is the Phoenician word for God, right? Aesar. So that Roman family is Etruscan. And Isar, I'll write it out in English. Isar, well, what is the Norse pantheon called? Isir. Freya, Freya, Thor, Odin, all that stuff. And so you have the Norse, Tur, right? It's like T-Y-R. Well, that comes from Phoenician. TR. That's the capital of Phoenicia at one point. T Y R E. But it's not pronounced Tyr. It's pronounced Sur because that Sadi is like a T S. So in Hebrew, it would look like uh, Sadi Resh. Or then it becomes Sadi. Vav Resh, which is S-U-R, which is rock, and it means Lord. And that's why you have this interchange between the rock, the Lord, God, rock star, Sur. That's going to be the same as Zor, as in Zoroaster, the rock star, Aster, star, Tir. Well, what's important about Tur? Because that is the Norse Tiwas are two. That's where we get Tuesday. It's Tears Day. But that's all coming from Phoenician. Sur or Tur. Now, this TSR is where you get Zar. Sar. All of that shit. Well, what is it? Caesar. And why does that matter? Well, because the patriarch of my family, so this is the only bust of Julius that was made during his lifetime while he was alive. My second great-grandfather, who's a Caesar, is the exact same phenotype. You can imagine him without the handlebar mustache, you will see not only does he have the same chin, the same fold in the neck, same ears. He's in his late 70s, early 80s here. Caesar died when he was 55. You'll see the same hairline, but you'll see blue eyes. And you'll see when he was a young man, he had blonde hair. 
the Phoenicians, the ancient Italians, the Etruscans, were Celtic, Germanic, European, whatever you want to call them, Scandinavian. They were not African or Asian. That's what they were lying. That's what they're covering up. They're literally destroying Europe's history. And they're saying everything that we have is coming from Asia when it's not the case because the Celtic, the Roman, and the Sanskrit all share tons of words. However, the Sanskrit is still in a state of perfection. That doesn't happen with language. Language morphs over time in common use. Sanskrit was a priestly language, just like the Hebrew was brought to perfection. The Hebrew was, it's the same alphabet as Phoenician, but it doesn't share any affinity to the language. But the Celtic does share affinity to what they have available. And this is why I'm so passionate about this, because the Western culture is being degraded and turning into some sort of weird nightmare. And I'm not sure what's going on, but I know a lot of it comes from us not knowing a damn thing about who we are, what we came from, and what we're capable of. And they're robbing that from us. And this is not some sort of like patriotic, like, um, you know, we're inherently better than anybody else. But this is our culture. This is my culture, and this is your culture. And Britain is being destroyed. Italy has been destroyed. Italy is in ruin, and it has been in ruin for the longest time. And even Machiavelli acknowledged that. Italy's ruin was brought about by France, who allowed Spain and the church to get too much power, and Spain and the church brought about Italy's ruin. And so if we want to restore the West before it just turns into an absolute cesspool, ir like irrecoverable, disgusting, you know, collapse, but we have to learn our history and we, start, we have to ha start having standards for ourselves that our ancestors have. Because our ancestors did great things. It's time for us to, you know, step up. And that's what I, that's the whole purpose of my work is to learn people, get people learned or caught up on the priestcraft so that they can identify it and reject it because it is the priest. And I'm American, and even my founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, said, history, I believe, has furnished us no example of a nation, of a priest-riddled nation that was able to maintain a free civil government. And the one thing that everybody has in common who sinks into despotism is to get infested by these priests. That's how serious it is, and that's why I'm so passionate about it, because I think I don't want us to be enslaved by these priests anymore. They're stealing the fruits of our labor. They're just strangling us, and they're taking our wealth, and they're, they don't even stick around. They just flee. They go everywhere. They absorb all the wealth, and then they flee like a parasite. They don't have any allegiance to any country. I have to say, uh, Dylan, as somebody that is from Great Britain and lived there up until just a few years ago, uh, and of course, I live in Europe, I'm on mainland Europe, and I travel a lot. Uh, Europe has been destroyed, and the level of destruction now has gone up to 10. You know, the amount of people that they're bringing across uh, from nations that have no cultural uh, affinity 
for what we have over here. They, I mean, the levels of crime, the levels of, of rape and sexual assault uh, is off the charts. And the country where I'm from, England, where I lived, uh, the city that I'm from, you are talking massive swaths of the city that are just ghettos. Whole cities now where if you w- walk down the street with your, uh, if you was there with your partner, uh, it would be dangerous during the day. Like it is really bad, really, really bad. And of course, what's happening in Great Britain and in Europe too is it's actually a self-inflicted wound. It's We are welcoming, we not as the people, we are actually opposing it, of course. But in terms of our um, political class, it is being brought on us to bring about this destruction. So I'm wondering how you see that from the outside. I mean, I'm living on it. That's one of the reasons why me and my wife moved was because raising children in the UK is dangerous. You know, it's not dangerous. a safe place for children. <laughs> yeah. Like it's not a safe place. So it was like, well, we're going to go back to somewhere that's still actually got some of its roots and some of its sovereignty, at least a little bit, which was Poland. But of look, course, we're look big problems Panama. over here too. Look, oh, we have. Into like Panama and <laughs> oh, Paraguay have. because you're lucky. You as a Brit, you can actually leave and like you don't still have to pay taxes once you leave. Yeah, you can use like uh, these places in America to set up your corporation and then pay yourself as like the employee. So you're always paying yourself enough so you never actually gain money. So you can always record it as a loss. I'm not giving advice. I'm just saying there's people, Brits are in a unique situation where they can get out of there and not be bound to the government anymore and live like this amazing tax-free life in, yeah. in Central America. But you're absolutely right. And it's happening in America too, man. All of our cities are like, it's shocking. But the great thing about America is once you're outside of the cities, it's still in a lot of places like the old traditional things. And, you know, Britain, you've got a lot of space. I've never out of been that. To- a lot of space. Unlike Britain, where ev- yeah, you know, yeah. Britain, everyone's packed in. And it's like right now, especially since Brexit. And I always said Brexit was not to keep people out. It was to keep you in. And the people keep coming, I mean, the, the people coming across that channel now, we're talking every year, tens of thousands of people, every day it's thousands. And uh, it's all young, fighting age men from cultures where there's been wars, uh, devastation. And of course, I think the, the last time I calculated the crime rate in the UK in a decade, it's gone up fivefold officially, but unofficially, you're probably talking 10, 15, 20 fold. It's, it really is, that's how you destroy culture because. Like in America, you see this common demonization. They just call it white people as though that's like a thing, right? Like, is that's not insulting in itself. Like, what the hell does white mean? You know, like there's so many different cultures who could be categorized in that. But there's this demonization of that. And the reason being is love them or leave them. European culture produces great civilization. We have, we have like, there are some... Just like in nature, I was reading an account from uh, a Native American, because that's what I've been studying now in America, is trying to see, see where the, is, there's cultural diffusion going on. And one uh, Indian chief, he said, listen, there's some animals that make really neat homes for themselves. And then there's some animals that are fine living in its own filth or whatever. And the same thing goes from human beings. Some people are really good at culture, some, and they have these standards of what they're willing to live under and then some people will just go live out in the wilderness or live in like mud huts or whatever and they don't ever need to you know engage in other forms of civilization but when you look at like a city that's clean that's safe that's efficient it's always going to be in america a white place 
And that's what they're trying to dis- destroy. And I don't want to get caught up in like a polit- um, like a race war or anything like that. But there's a reason that they're destroying the middle class and the people with mor- morality and all these standards, because in order to get what the people ruling this world want, which is people to accept their perversions, they have to degrade society so that society finds what they're doing is like normal. They have to normalize everything. And over our lifetime, you've seen them in increments, right? Like you've just seen like, you know, there's certain things that you never would have seen on entertainment or anything. It's totally unacceptable to show that is now acceptable. And that's coming with the culture, the destruction of culture, the destruction of morality. And one of the things I hate about the West is what we've allowed our governments to do to the Middle East, people of high morality who don't tolerate this shit. You know, people like Iran, Iraq, uh, Libya, all these people ought to have been our friends. We just should have been doing business with them. We should be doing business with both the Russians and the Ukrainians. Russia helped us get our independence, right? And like, I'm, I have an affinity to British culture because I come from New England. And um, New England is basically, there's, there's like vernacular in our culture that is all Scottish and old English that people in the rest of America don't understand some of the words that we're saying because our vernacular comes from England in the old days. And so I love England. I love British culture. British civilization is very efficient and it's good. Is there things that I don't like about British culture? Well, the royalty, the crown system. Yeah. The monarchy stuff. That's not so great. I think we'll get into that in part two a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. They're all intermarried with old Italian families. Right, the Spencers, they're Orsinis. Right, you, you, there's the separation from Britain and Italy is you can't do it. It's they're so intertwined and married in all the royalty across Europe, and so the royalty serves the priests because if they don't pay their tithes and the productivity of their country to the church, the church can raise any army they want from all of their churches from all over the continent and attack these people. So that's it's like a race. It's like they got to keep everybody poor and in a state of scarcity so that they can control them. Because if the priests didn't exist, we'd have a lot more fruits of our labors and we'd be able to do a lot more business and wouldn't be so micromanaged and we could trade in competing currencies, right? You could do anything you want as long as it's within the bounds of morality and it wouldn't have all these problems. But the big problem for them is they wouldn't be able to tax it, right? You selling a piece of land to me for some cattle, they can't tax the cattle. So this is why they're always obsessed with these controlling these currencies. And what I liked about, you know, like stuff you're talking about with Lynette, they're gearing up for that one world system, that ledger system where all the ledgers of all the banks are now, all the central banks are now merged with the Fed, one bank. And, you know, we're, we're frighteningly close to a system that we're not going to be able to get out of unless you have wealth outside of it prior to it starting. That's why, you know, this all ties into the stuff you cover with people like Lynette. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild. It's we, we are, we are lit- literally at the end of uh, history in terms of our history, our collective history that you're talking about. We are in the final days of that. And it's been brought in under the guise of uh, falsehood, which is, like you said, it's a false history. It's, it's losing our origins. And then it's also this, and this one really gets me, uh, it's this idea that, we have collective guilt for sins of the past that may or may not have even happened. Uh, And I always tell people like, because 
when you look at what they're trying to play place at our doorstep says um let's say what i'm white english uh, you're white italian american they I'm say part american indian oh wow so you, you've what, got so, you, I, so i have like red skin like i know you can't see it because i'm not next to anybody but if you were to see me next to like a no i can, another, see, like, it. Olive I can skin, see it for sure i actually yeah. have like this like reddish hue to me <laughs> yeah no i i can see that no i can see that in your features actually uh I, well i mean i'm a mix too i'm uh, great grandparents irish scottish uh, and we also had a traveler in there a gypsy for a romany gypsy and that's where the black hair comes from i inherited that from this one guy who traveled around in a gypsy wagon and he had a gold hoop tearing back in the uh, early 1900s and he was an extremely mysterious character and uh, that in my family there is uh, some mysticism from that so my my grandma and myself we both are very good readers of people that was a strange little part of my history but otherwise it's mainly yeah it's mainly Scottish and Irish and English but anyhow I guess what I'm getting at is that our history is when you look at them, it's all a fabrication. My great-grandparents lived in abject poverty. We're talking 20 people living in a single house, sharing one toilet, one room, one kitchen. You know, and my great-grandparents would have been, you know, chimney sweeping, like, as boys at the age of four or five, or working in the satanic mills of Victorian England, where children were being essentially sacrificed to go work there. You know, most of them came away with either limbs missing or they'd die by the time they were 15, 20. It was disturbingly bad. Victorian England was a yeah. hellhole. And the only people who's, who were <laughs> profiteering, I mean, you think of, oh, England, it was the biggest empire on planet Earth, people say this. And they think the people back in England, and I get this even in Poland, they think that people were rich. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. It was family capitalism, which meant there was some extremely rich oligarchical British families who had all the wealth. And everyone else was debt poor, like literally slaves in their own country. So this idea we've got today of this white privilege and people, our ancestors went and raped the world of all of its wealth. It's like, no, it was a group of families and it goes back to the monarchs and the aristocracy. Everyone else was a slave in their own country. Uh, and, and I really am disturbed to have this laid at our door. Uh, and first and foremost, even if it was true, we don't have collective guilt. That's a, that's a genocidal way of thinking. Yeah, but we didn't have anything to do with it, even if it were true. Yeah, even but if it a was. A lot of it's not true. And I empathize that because one of the things that Robert Taylor helped expose is, like, being a member of the Caesar family, people say that we persecuted Christians. And it's not true. For anyone who doesn't believe this, go look up the entire body of Roman law. There is not one word against Christians in it. In fact, you will see edicts that protect Christians and they protect, it protects people who from being from the, from the voices of the multitude, the mob being used against them as evidence in court. Rome did not persecute anybody for religion. It was the most libertine place maybe in the world. You could worship and believe whatever you wanted in Rome. We didn't persecute anybody for that. So all this stuff that they say, well, why is that a problem? Well, because if you realize there's not any persecution of Christians, then what does that mean for a religion whose entire drive is based on being persecuted? Who would persecute people? Who, the real Christian comes from the Greek uh, Christianos. Well, not necessarily Greek. It's that's something we can get into, but that's really controversial. But the idea of being a Christian, the root of it is Chris, to be like Cairo, Eta Sigma. I can write it out for you, and it means good. 
And so the idea, if you were a good man or a good fellow, as they were called, that's why the, the mob, the Italians, they call themselves good fellows, right? It's Christians. So if you were to write Chris uh, in Greek, it would look like this. And that is C-H. Oh, whoops, I wrote that. I, I, I did that backwards. My mistake. C-H-R. That eta functions like an I. It's interchangeable with E and H. So, so you'll see this, like when it's asked, uh, you'll see this uh, with Helios, the sun. Um, but this is Christ, Christ. And then if you were to finish writing it out, it would be like Ianos. Well, what's the problem with that? This is a Greek root, Christ, but it's a Latin termination. There is not one people in the world from the Greek Empire or any other that would create a word that's Greek and Latin as an organic word. And so this is the conspiracy. If you know what this is in language, you can see that the New Testament is lying to you from the very beginning of the first title page that says faithfully translated from the, the Greek original. It's written in monkish Latin. And... One of the things about the Bible is it's horribly incomplete and horribly vague. And I think this is a result of over the years as people became literate, they've had to take out parts of it and change parts of it so that people don't pick up on the tons of mistakes that betray it as a forgery written by Latin monks or written by monks in monkish Latin. Because it might be another rate, it might be another group of people who did it, I don't know. But what we're looking at is forgery. And that's not easy for anybody to, uh, to confront because a lot of us come from Christian backgrounds, myself included. But I also come from a, a Roman family whose name was drugged through the mud as a persecutor of Christians. And they're not. And so this is for as much as, you know, Romans didn't persecute Christians. End of story. And for anyone who disagrees, just all you have to do is provide one word against Christians in the entire body of Roman law, and you won't find it there. I think that's a really good segue into part two, um, Dylan. I think you've laid it out really well that there's something up here. There's something really rotten at the heart of our history. Uh, there's big chunks of it missing. The stuff that is there has been redacted, shifted, chopped, and changed. Uh, the Vatican has played a huge role in that. And that's something that I think would be an awesome kind of starting point for part two. Uh, and maybe we could begin with the Palpal Bulls, uh, maybe specifically the one that I got them pulled up. <laughs> yeah, man. There's one in 1300 that um, I think at that point the Vatican took control over every living being on planet Earth and also all of the land. So maybe that's a good place to start in part two. Unum just, Sanctum. That's the one. Unum Sanctum by, um, it was Boniface the Third, I think. Uh, anyhow, so that's... Bonifacci. Yeah, there you go. Say it, say it properly. So that's where we'll start in part two. And maybe we then, I think that'll actually be a really good segue also into the legal system uh, and how they're using this construct... Yep to essentially continue this enslavement. At the minute, we call it debt slavery, but there's many legal parts to that as well. Uh, and I, I think you're the perfect person to discuss that with. So 
Uh, if you want to step awesome. out for a quick drink or break, uh, that yeah, would be fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Let me just give one more plug. Let me give one more plug. So for Absolutely. you to find, for you to find my work, all my socials, to avoid all the decision fatigue, just use one link. Everything, everything I do is on there. It is beacons, b e a c o n s dot a i slash great tide, g r e a t t i d e. From there, you can get everything, including my Substack, my Instagram, all that stuff. And I just want to remind your audience, if you enjoyed this, I will offer you a free subscription to my Substack. Just follow the directions at the beginning of the podcast and I'll make it happen. And don't worry if a lot of people, if it turns out to be a big hit and a lot of people respond, I will get to you. Just be patient. And uh, thank you, Mike. And thank you your audience for having me on and I really appreciate you giving me an outlet. It's been real fun to kind of talk about this stuff. arrived here by fluke, but you can begin to feel your own existence as absolutely fundamental. What you are basically, deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. <laughs>